Welcome back to Hawaii Real, everybody. I'm your host, Ioke Ehu, and I want to send a shout out to our beverage host for this episode, Hawaiian Springs Water. In the description below, I'll put the link where you can go on Amazon and buy it directly from Amazon and go have it delivered right to your house. You don't have to go to the store to buy this. Great stuff from the Big Island and also from the Big Island. My guest today, Elihia Johnson from Naha, the Native Hawaiian Hospitality Association, who is sponsoring this episode today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you uh, straight off from the Big Island. That's why we're doing it away from the studio. I'm at my house right now and it looks a little different. Got my Stormtrooper helmet here because I love Star Wars. There you go. Yeah. But hey, uh, Ilihia, you are the principal of Hie Hie Communications out there in the Big Island working closely with the Native Hawaiian uh, Hospitality Association on a really cool new project. Can you get into this uh, that uh, detail with the, it's called Kuhi Kuhi? Absolutely, I'd love to. Um, first, let me say thank you for having me on. Uh, I love your sponsors, man. Uh, Native Hawaiian Hospitality Association is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I'm actually starting a new adventure uh, a couple of days after we record this, but before you air this. Uh, and so my time with Naha is coming to a close, but you know, the Native Hawaiian Hospitality Association founded in 1997 by two visionaries who I derive a lot of inspiration from. Um, you know, very happy to have been able for the past few years to be a part of advancing that mission of bridging those gaps between the community, particularly the Hawaiian community and the visitor industry uh, so that both can benefit each other. And that was the vision of our two founders, Senator Kenneth Brown and Dr. George Konehele. And then you're other sponsor, Hawaiian Springs Water. You know, growing up uh, on the Hilo side of Hawaii Island, I knew we had the best water in the world. Mm -hmm. Not that I had tried a whole lot of other water, but I just knew it. And uh, over the years, turned out I was right. I love Hawaii Island water. It's just so, so ono and full, and it's different. It's very yeah. different no matter where on the island you go. There's so something I love Hawaiian Springs Water. There's something about the taste of it. It just, it tastes like maybe there should be some additives or something that they put in there, but there's not. It comes directly from the volcanic water uh, springs and stuff and just right into the bottles. I was so surprised when I saw how they bottled this. They just take it right from the mountain, boom, right into the bottles and ship that out. And it's yeah. alkaline. It's alkaline. I like alkaline water. I mean, beets acid. It totally beats. Well, you know, we get enough plate lunches and gravy and, you know, hamburgers and stuff like that, French fries, so it builds up the acid anyway. So kind of balances out a little bit, right? It's a little healthy. <laughs> That's right. It's your daily pH adjustment. Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. So you're on Big Island, but you didn't grow up on the Big Island. You said you were born in Honolulu? So I was born on Oahu, uh, Evo Beach. The Johnson Ohana still has the little nest on Evo Beach Road, a few doors down from Silver Store. Uh, so aloha to all the cousins watching. You are. We moved to Hawaii Island when I was pretty young, um, four years old. And oh, so wow. all the formative years of my childhood were over on the Hilo side. And for the past several years, I've been here in Kona, uh, which I now call home. Nice, nice. What's your yeah. favorite local food growing up? <sighs> Tough one. I will tell <laughs> you something about Hilo. Hilo, you know, Lots of places have lots of options to eat, right? Mm. Like you go to Honolulu, there's no shortage of choices. Right. But in Hilo, 
I would argue that your chances of getting something amazing are so much higher. All the food in Hilo is so good with so few exceptions. And, you know, people recognize quality, people recognize value. And so the eateries that are beloved by the community just stay in business forever and ever and ever. All right. So if I'm uh, coming to Hilo, so if I'm coming to Hilo, where am I, where are you suggesting I go check out first to go eat? Well, you know, yeah, this is the first time we're meeting, so I'm not really sure uh, how big of an appetite you have. So let's start there. Uh, pretty sizable. You know, I fast. I do intermittent fasting. And when I'm done with a fast for a 24-hour uh, fast, oh, 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 yeah, give me a big plate lunch, something. Okay. So so I love Nori's. Um, Nori's Simon and Snacks is the name, but they have this one dish. And I was just reminded of it uh, the other day looking at a video for a project that I'll, I'll circle back around to, but they have this dish called the big plate and it's all the things you would love, you know, the short ribs, the teriyaki meat, the noodles, mac salad, rice, fish, all the stuff on this huge plate suggested for two people, but <laughs> depends, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. that'll work for four. Sometimes yes. it works for one, one and a half. You never know. So if you're really hungry, that's a solid choice. Ken's House of Pancakes, of course. Oh, um, dude, pancakes are my fave, man. Yeah. Well, and there's so much other great choices there, too, beyond the pancakes. Nice, nice. You know? um, but Ken's, Hawaiian-owned business, and that's actually what we're here to talk about tonight. So that might be a good segue. What you think? Yeah. So... The Kuhi Kuhi that you guys are working on, that uh, is what a directory for all these Hawaiian-owned businesses? It is. So let me ask you this. Yeah. If you were shopping for a restaurant, for a plumber, for an electrician, landscaper, communications consultant, whatever, would you agree that supporting a locally-owned business a locally owned small business is important. Yes, 100%. Okay. So let's take that a step further. Would supporting a small locally owned Native Hawaiian owned business be important to you? Personally to me, absolutely, 100%. Yes. Okay. Where do you go to find those businesses? Google, Yelp. But then it doesn't necessarily connect you to if they're Native Hawaiian owned or not. And that's right? so the question. Absolutely. And that's the question that launched what became kuhikuhi.com. Okay. So kuhikuhi is a collaboration between the Native Hawaiian Hospitality Association, which had a project that did some of these things before. Mm -hmm. It's a collaboration with the Native Hawaiian Chambers of Commerce across all the islands, Kauai, Oahu, Maui, and Hawaii Island. Um, and it was supported by the Office of Hawaiian Affairs, Kamehameha Schools, Hawaii Tourism Authority through their work with Naha, and Movers and Shakas, which is a program to recruit folks who could work remotely to spend some of their pandemic time uh, here in Hawaii as an effort to kind of, on one hand, bolster the hospitality industry, which was suffering, but also, ideally, to bring Kamaina home. Kamaina, who had gone away uh, pursuing careers, education, family, whatever. There's a million reasons 
well, half a million reasons why Native Hawaiians leave Hawaii, right? And if right. we expand that to other Kamaina, there are just so many all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so any opportunity uh, to give opportunities for Kamaina to come home, I'm all about it. Um, and so we got to know movers and shakas. And so anyway, kuhi kuhi, imagine, you know, thinking about some of the racial justice things that were happening on the continent, uh, some of the movements, Black Lives Matter, that evolved into supporting Black-owned businesses. Right. Right. All of this was happening at the same time that, you know, the cost of living in Hawaii was skyrocketing. Right. Houses are nuts. Yeah, especially you know, here. As a, everywhere. So we moved into a home almost a year ago here in Kona. The two houses on our street that sold after we bought our house, over a million dollars. Right. And I'm not a millionaire. So yeah. that, that jump kind of happened just within this really short time period. Right. And so thinking about the importance of building a resilient local circular economy, thinking about, you know, entrepreneurship and business development as a path towards improving quality of life for folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ultimately, I can make a great business. I can have a great product. If you don't know about it, how are you going to support my business? Right. So it's a good segue to getting you right. So, so this is an online directory for statewide, or is it just, is it nationwide with all native Hawaiian owned businesses in the mainland as well? Um, you know, at this time we're focused on Hawaii. Okay. Um, I don't know that we've had the discussion about expanding it nationwide, but we certainly want to build a base of, uh, the directory here Good because foundation. in addition, yeah, absolutely. And in addition to Kama'aina shopping and supporting these native Hawaiian owned businesses, we also want to invite our visitors to contribute to that. Mm-hmm. You know, with the billions of dollars that visitors spend in Hawaii every year, how much of that is staying here? Right. If you fly into Hawaii on a national carrier, if you rent a vehicle from, you know, an international or global brand. Yeah. You stay at a hotel that is likely owned by a large capital group managed by an international brand. You know, where are those opportunities to channel some of that spending to our Kamaina businesses where it will stay here and improve this community? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the idea in a nutshell. No, it's, it's a great, great idea. And I'm, Kind of surprised that it hasn't gotten. I know you said somebody was doing it before, like tr- creating a directory, or is this the first time that anybody's created an online directory? Great question. So, what I talked about earlier was Naha had a project, uh, and it wasn't the first of its kind either. Uh, Naha had a directory called the Hanalima directory. And the purpose of that was to help people find. Uh, Hawaiian cultural related vendors. Uh, so if you're looking for a caterer who does Hawaiian food, if you're looking for, um, you know, a halal that could come perform at your event or musicians, uh, certainly our artisans, you know, if you're looking for authentic lay or weapons or implements or whatever the case may be. So um, Naha had that directory 
other folks have done other directories, kind of real specific point in time things didn't always get updated frequently, which is one benefit of the online platform, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I move my business, if I move a couple doors down, I can go update the address and folks can still find me versus a printed directory uh, where that would be more difficult to do. Right, right. We also wanted to kind of build some benefits for members of the Native Hawaiian Chambers of Commerce across the islands to provide them with more visibility and exposure. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been working on this whole project? Kuhi Kuhi really started during COVID uh, fairly early. One catalyst was that the Native Hawaiian Chambers of Commerce um, got together and started cooperating a lot more closely than they had before, understanding the need for, uh, you know, for advocacy, for action in this time of economic, I don't think collapse is too strong of a word. No. Um, so that was one catalyst, was that Naha was looking at our Hanalima directory, understanding that that needed to evolve somehow to be more responsive to even just to be richer in terms of images and links. Right. Right. Um, if I look in a printed directory at five laymakers, I don't know what your lay look like, but going online now I can see photos, get to your Instagram, see the video of you making oh. the lay with folks. So it's going to help connect the social media aspects of the businesses as well. Absolutely. So the listings, um, you know, there's short descriptions, there's room for images, there's room for links to websites, social media, telephone number. Uh, you can rate businesses if you register for the site. Mm-hmm. All of this is free, uh, both to use as well as for the businesses to list. We wanted to make this a public service to, again, help connect these Native Hawaiian-owned businesses with customers who can help support, who can keep that money circulating in our Kama'aina economy. Nice, nice. I like hearing that. I like hearing stories like this where, you know, somebody's, not just somebody's, but multiple people's passions are coming together and putting forth and driving this driving force to get something done that should have been done all a while ago. But, you know, there's a need for it and it's finally getting done. I'm so impressed. Uh, but wow. I did want to ask you, like, what are what, what is one of your uh, passions that helps move you to not just this project, but the projects that you're moving on in the future? Sure. Great question. Um, so I like to say I'm a new father, but at some point you got to stop saying new. Right? I have yeah. a three-year-old. Still new. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Still new? Okay. Still new. Yeah. I'll wait take till, you, wait, wait till I'll take teenager. <laughs> I tell you what, I blink and she grows a little bit more. Yeah. It's crazy. But becoming a father really sharpened my focus. If the things I'm doing every day don't make Hawaii a better place for her, and we're talking environmental, talking economic, societal, I mean, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of stuff, but the central point of it is making this place better, protecting those things that make it special so that she has a chance, so that her contemporaries have a chance to to grow, to learn, to succeed, to absorb 
the values that I and my generation were so fortunate to have growing up here, um, which already may be, you know, slightly, uh, what you call it, eroded from the generation before and the generation before. Nobody's fault. It's a combination of things. But that's kind of the thing that drives me is making sure that this Hawaii is the best Hawaii it can be as I pass it on to her and her contemporaries. So you you wholeheartedly believe that your child will stay and remain in Hawaii when they're an adult? That is every parent's um, kind of wonder, right? And so not to not to try to force her into anything, but I want it to be an option, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no, that's a great point. At least it's an option, you know, because yeah. I have two boys and I'm not entirely convinced that they're going to stay in Hawaii. You know, they've been here all their whole, entire lives and we as parents really want them to go away to college and experience the mainland, grow and just experience new ways to do things, new new thought processes and then maybe come back to Hawaii and try to make a living back here because it is home and there's nowhere else on earth like it. Sure. You know? but Certainly yeah, they, no place with as good water. Hawaiian Springs know water. That. Yeah. <laughs> that is very Model. true. That is very true. And uh, one of the things that I know they complain about sometimes is they've never really been in snow. It's like, well, okay, there's people that have been in snow their entire lives. Then there's millions and millions of people that have never been on the beach and we get to go every weekend, so hey, yeah. take what we can get. Absolutely. Snow is cool um, if you're passing through. Sucks to drive in, though. Let me tell you. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, last time I was in a snowy uh, situation, there was a wedding in Chicago in December. No. Oh. There's a lot to unpack there, but we were in Chicago. It was December. It was really cold, but not snowing yet. Until the last day, we were headed to the train station to get back to the airport. It snowed, you know, just enough between the hotel and the train station, and I was good. Mahalo, Chicago. (laughs) Dust it off, come home. What, no snowball fights or anything like that? Ah, you know, and the snow is a little bit off-white. I don't know about chucking that at anybody. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, It's fun to be in and visit, but, man, it's... It's tough to live in a place that that snows like that. And just driving in the snow is hard. Yeah. So mm. I'm glad to not live in a snowy environment. Totally lovely living in Hawaii. But the so, cost you know, of living here is hard. How old are your kids? They're 14 and 12. 14 and 12. Okay. So four and six years away from college and kind of making some of those grown-up decisions. Yes. So it's coming up pretty quick, you know, where they're going to have to start looking at colleges and start looking at uh, applying and nailing down and studying for SATs, that kind of thing. You know, it's coming, it's going to come up quick. I know. And looking for scholarships, that kind of thing. But, you know, I think they're both at Punahou. So uh, I want them to know that they have every opportunity in the world to do or become whatever they want, you know? Yeah. They can start a malasada truck wherever they want if they can snag the recipe. <laughs> it's good the stuff. Puno Fair. The Puno Carnival malasadas are the best malasadas ever. They, I explained it this way because most malasadas are just that ball that's wrapped. It's right. just, and they dust it with 
with powdered sugar or regular sugar all around it. So you get kind of an equal amount of sugar all around it. Uh, but the Puno Carnival ones, they kind of, they're misshapen. And some are long, some are small, some are short. But because they're misshapen, they have all these cracks and crevices where they get crispy and sugar gets stuck in there. So when you bite into it, you kind of get a blend of softness, crunchiness, and sugary spots. You know, I just, I just absolutely love that. Yeah, absolutely. It comes down to surface area. Surface area, yes. Crunchy, crispy, golden. <laughs> Is Puno sponsoring this? No, I wish. Okay, I'll no. stop there then. I'll stop there. It's like, no, I'm paying them, so no. Okay. <laughs> but I'll gladly come support them with some uh, some Malasada purchases. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um is there anything uh, on a personal note? Is there anything kind of food that you would wait in an hour line, hour long line for? An hour line? Ooh. Yeah. I only ask because I've seen people wait, like tourists and stuff, wait in long lines for shave ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, shave it's ice. ice. There's um, there's that udon place on Kuhio behind International Marketplace. Yes. I don't know if it's an hour line, but there's always a line. I don't know how quickly they move through. No. Oh. No, I wouldn't. (laughs) So I was shocked at the volume of folks who are waiting in line for shave ice, though. Last time I was in Haleiwa, maybe maybe in June or so, was around Alumni Week. That's why we were on Oahu. Is that June? Probably, yeah. Somewhere around there. So, um, yeah, just unbelievable lines in like all of Haleiwa was was a line Jeez, that's insane and so when uh was it five guys burger opened up here Mm. the one in Mililani there were people waiting for three hours to get in there I'm like what are you doing there's just the hamburgers and french fries and milkshakes it's not three hours worth of your life to wait in line for that kind of stuff I mean I get it it's something different that's cool but uh for me personally I I have a very short window between I'm hungry and not a great situation. So yeah. I can't think of anything I would wait an hour for. That's me. Um, There's yeah. nothing I would wait in line for. It's like, no, nah, it's not worth it. Sorry. We're going to find some place to eat. Yeah. yeah. Go to a restaurant and, you know, try to get a table. It's like, oh, it's going to be an hour long wait. Nope. We're out of here. Or even 45 minutes. 45 minute wait. Nah. Find Having said else. that, though, I have... I've traveled over an hour to get food, but I can't see myself waiting in line for an hour for food. Yeah, that's different. That's that's yeah. different. I would travel to like Haleiwa because I live in town, so I would travel to Haleiwa to have like Haleiwa Joe's. Yeah, yeah. Oh, prime rib. Prime rib, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you don't get there in, you know, the first hour or so, they run out. That's like... Is it purely by coincidence that we're recording this during the dinner hour and we... Talking food. Uh, I had Panda Express already. Okay. Did you eat yet? Okay. <laughs> no. So there's a there's a fabulous um, there's a fabulous Hawaiian food place here in Kona called Hawaii Hawaii Fresh Specialties. His brother Nolan Hing is the poi man. He started his business kind of you know texting everybody to get their poi order and he'd drive around and drop it off and and it grew into catering and it grew into this place um so i am so full of squid luau right now i'm good for a while 
<laughs> but Nolan's amazing. So I don't he know does if all he's on yet. He does all kind of Hawaiian food, or does he specialize in poi? His poi is unbelievable. It's so fresh that uh, if you're the kind of person who enjoys sour poi, you mm-hmm. got to wait. You got to yeah. wait weeks. Yeah, no, it's so me. fresh. I, I like fresh poi. Okay. Uh, I might have to send you the kind, bro. I might have to uh, send you a box of poi. Ooh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah. I'm down. I just bought a fresh. Someone I, was I, um, actually an uncle of my partner. He was woeing how hard it was to find poi on Oahu. He lives mm-hmm. uh, he lives right in town, right on Kopiolani, and all the different stores. He had a hard time finding it, so we packed him up a box from Nolan, stuck it on um, Aloha Air Cargo, and uh, he was a happy camper. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah, we do have shortages every once in a while when it's gone. But, you know, most people don't eat poi, so they're like, eh, who cares? But people like us are like, dude, no, we need that. It's gone. Um, I I think it was years ago when I started, I had a Hawaiian plate. And it was, you know, it was the typical rice, uh, kalua pig and cabbage, the luau. And my poi was in the, one of those little cups. And yeah. I, I poured it out onto the plate. And it actually accidentally got into the Kalua pig. And I loved it. And so oh, I yeah. took the rest, I got some more poi and like poured it over the entire thing and used the poi as a sauce on top of the Kalua pig and rice. Oh, dude. So, so good. That's the way to eat poi, let me tell you. Yeah. Well, it's a great way to get the poi in the corners, right? Because especially yeah, in those little cups. Scrape it all out. <laughs> yeah. Your fork or a. Uh... So Mary Monarch, uh, which I miss so much, their Hawaiian food comes with a spork and the poi in the container. So you, you can't get the edges. So you got to throw a Kahlua pig or something in there just to like, you know, mop it up. <laughs> no, I was so surprised how good it was as a sauce. So, yeah. Uh, I got a quick story. Uh, I was at Paradise Cove Luau probably about 10 years ago now. In a previous life, uh, I worked with Disney at Imagineering. And wow. Yeah, so in, in developing the show content for Aulani, we were checking out all the, the other kind of evening entertainment options in the area. So luau's and different shows. So we go to Paradise Cove. And um, the things that need to be cold are all together. Salad dressing, and then the poi was in there. Mm-hmm. But the sister in front of me in the buffet line didn't read the the placards. She thought it was dressing. So, boy, <laughs> all over the salad. I think she ate them. Yeah. It's on the next table. <laughs> it's better on Kalua Pig, though, I tell you that. Yeah, there's worse things to do with the boy. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get started with Disney? Or what, once what, what's upon your... a time. What's your background? Like, where did you go to school and college and everything like that? Yeah, so uh grew up in Hilo. Uh, and my mom was very interested in getting back in touch with her Hawaiian roots. And so through a series of, of connections and introductions, she became aware of the Hawaiian Language Immersion Program, which was still fairly new at the time. Um, and so I went to elementary school in Kelkaha 
at Kekulakaya Punio Kelkaha, Hawaiian immersion classes that shared a campus with Kelkaha Elementary School, the English speaking kids. So that was elementary school and then middle high school, Kekula Onavahio Kalani Opu'u, Hawaiian language immersion school just outside of Hilo. And so I graduated in the sixth ever graduating class of the Hawaiian immersion program. The sixth class to graduate high school, having been educated in Hawaiian in a hundred years. Wow. Amazing. Uh, so that, and then uh, UH Hilo, and I kind of went back and forth professionally between, you know, journalism, media creation, that kind of stuff. And then public relations, communications, those kinds of things. So lots of freelancing in the early days with various publications. Uh, some are still around, some are not. But um, yeah, a lot of that. I did some time at the Office of Hawaiian Affairs in the Public Information Office working on Kavaiola, the newspaper that goes out every month. Um, and the Disney thing. So in high school, there was this conference called the Maui Writers Conference. Okay. And uh, it was run by John and Shannon Tullius. And the idea was, look, we love to write. We love writers. We want to help people who want to get started in this, in the industry of professional, you know, authoring. And so they created this conference, you know, they were Maui residents. They created this conference because it was on Maui. They got amazing, uh, really high profile presenters to come. Like, you want me to come do one session on Maui and I get to fly there and stay and shoot. Yeah. So it was really a, a fantastic thing that they created. Um, and one really cool part of it was the Young Writers Program, which invited students from local high schools, generally juniors, seniors, um, to submit, you know, submit a writing sample, uh, you know, apply to, for the opportunity to go, and then they came and participated. And so for for a number of years, there were these cohorts of high school students who were interested in writing, who got to go and just be exposed to this wonderful world of these high profile authors and, you know, all these books that they had read, that they had heard of that, you know, their parents, their friends were excited, like you got to meet so and so. Wow. Um, so that was this really amazing time. So the um, so I attended the Maui Writers Conference as a young writer. Uh, it was a great opportunity to kind of make some of those connections, friends who I still uh, collaborate with personally and professionally till today. Um, but through getting to know that world, one of the folks who was involved in that was Georgia Skinner, who is now the head of creative industries for the State Department of Business, Economic Development, and Tourism. So when Disney came to town, she was helping them find talent, uh, writers, creators, things like that. Um, and so that's how that connection happened. And I'll tell you, it was, it was a wonderful ride, you know, just working with people who operate at such high levels of their artistic uh, vocations, but so hungry, so curious to learn about our stories and to understand how to tell them 
authentically and honestly and uh, alongside with us. Because, I mean, we've all seen the trend with Disney moving a lot of their stuff to Hawaiian or Polynesian type themes. You know, do you know why, why Disney would do that? Or did they ever mention to you guys way back when that they were moving this in this direction? Was this, I'm assuming this is after Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, so Alani happened after Lilo and Stitch, right. um, before Moana. Um, you know, Disney is such a large corporation. Oftentimes, different parts do different things at different times for different reasons. Um, but having said that, I don't think any storyteller can look towards Oceania and not be compelled by just the rich heritage of stories and storytelling in Hawaii uh, and the islands beyond. It's an amazing just treasure chest of, of Mo'olelo, mm-hmm. right? So much of our culture is around, you know, capturing and sharing and adding to these stories. Yeah. So it, and Disney is a storytelling company. That also does hotels and cruise ships and parks and merchandise and all this other stuff, but they're storytellers. So I think that that move towards Oceania was bound to happen. Yeah, because on Disney Plus now they have uh, do- the new Doogie. What's the last name? Doogie Kamel Aloha. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Doogie so, Hauser? No, not Doogie Hauser. We watch that, um, you know, as soon as the new one comes out, we watch it. So you guys are enjoying it? Yeah, we are, you know, seeing familiar faces and Mm -hmm. uh, familiar places. You know, I think one thing um, that happened around the same time that Kuhi Kuhi was inspired, you know, Kuhi Kuhi is from this desire to desire for more, more equity and more representation in entrepreneurship and in business. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, you know, the big media companies realize that, hey, we have a representation uh, issue in that we're lacking a lot of diversity and representation in the stories we tell. Couple that with the rise of all these streaming platforms. I'm, I kind of lost count of how many we have, right? Disney Plus, Paramount yeah. Plus, Hulu, Netflix, Apple Amazon TV, Prime, yeah. Apple Plus, HBO Max, maybe HBO Supermax by the time <laughs> this podcast airs, right? <laughs> so it's a great time to be a storyteller because all mm-hmm. of these platforms are are in need of content. There's an understanding that that diversity and representation is important. Um, and so if you are a storyteller in a historically underrepresented community, this is a great time to tell your story. And that's kind of what happened with Doogie. What, in your opinion, is the magic that Hawaii brings to the world? So if you asked that question 10 years ago, I would have tried really hard not to say aloha because at the time I would have thought it would perhaps be, uh, you know, cliche. Mm -hmm. But now, understanding, understanding Aloha at different kinds of levels, right? We talked about being a parent. That's an Aloha like no other. 
where nothing bad will happen to that child as long as I'm around as that child's parent. But that intensity of love and care for others and for this place that we call home, that's the difference, I think. That's the magic. That's the special sauce. It's that non-negotiable aloha uh, for one another and for our home. And it's not always pretty, right? Right. Sometimes aloha is, I'm going to pull you on the side and tell you, brah, bad move. Don't do that. You know, something you may not. Still love. Tough love. Absolutely. Right. Something you might not want to hear, but I'm going to tell you. Because I get aloha for you, and I can tell you. Um, yeah, I think our care for, for our environment, understanding, one, how special it is, but also how quickly it can be compromised. And we see these things happen so quickly at the island scale. Um, it, it doesn't take 50 years to screw up a river. You know, couple refrigerators, couple junk cars upstream. We got a problem in our river. Right. Yeah, yeah there was, wasn't it on the Big Island, there was a uh, wastewater dump or something like that into the ocean recently? I saw that in the news. Could be. Um, I did spend some time at the county of Hawaii, working mm-hmm. alongside uh, the legendary late Mayor Billy Kenoy. Um and in that time, I was super tuned into wastewater spills and all that stuff. But uh, right. yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 really. I think the one that hit me one of the most, and I don't know if it should have, but when they uh, the harbor here at Honolulu, uh, somebody leaked like molasses or something into the harbor. And it just killed all of the ocean and marine life right in that little harbor stuff. And yeah. you know, looking at that harbor, it's like, oh, what what's living there anyways? But you saw there's so many crustaceans and fish and stuff like that that were trying to get away from it and getting pinned and cornered into the shoreline and just like dying. It was really sad. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um I never thought about how you move molasses around. <laughs> Yeah. I really did or, until that happened. What you, yeah, or what? What are you using molasses for? It's like I don't even know. Yeah, and why do you need that much of it? But definitely, you know, understanding that what happens here in this harbor, if these fish get covered by molasses, some fish down the coast don't get to eat. Yeah, and then they don't. The fish who eat them don't get to eat, and you know, it's one of those things again where you see how quickly our environment can be impacted on an island. One molasses mm-hmm. spill over here, all of a sudden the reefs on the other side look real different. Right. Right. I mean, diving into sustainability, have you uh, had any inkling or opinions on like our energy crisis here in Hawaii? Not really a crisis, but. Well, the beginnings of a crisis are still a crisis, right? It's well, just... Yeah, because we're completely dependent on outside oil and fuel to come in here in order to power all of our, almost all of our electricity. Yeah. Um, so I should preface this a little bit. Um, I've been involved in sustainability efforts in one way or another for quite a while. Um, on 
a few days before we recorded this, uh, I was hosting a 10th anniversary celebration for Hawaii Green Growth, which mm. is, um, you know, our locally designated UN Local 2030 hub, driving local action to reach our global sustainable development goals. Uh, so Hawaii Green Growth has the Aloha Plus Challenge, which laid out six goals to hit by 2030. Uh, one of them, energy. And um, another one of the clients that I've had recently uh, is a renewable energy developer looking to build some photovoltaics and storage here on Hawaii Island. I will tell you, it's tough. And you can get really far along on a project and then it doesn't go. And you can have all the best intentions building an energy project and the community can say, you know what, not for us, not here, not now. And those things happen, but those are the kinds of things we have to resolve to solve energy because we have the tech, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we could go hundred percent renewable all across Hawaii, let out, right? Supply chain issues, notwithstanding. The technology is there. The engineering know-how is there. It's the people part of it. And I think for a long time, the people part of clean energy has been ignored. But I'm encouraged by folks like, um, you know, Scott Seo, first Native Hawaiian president of Hawaiian Electric, who's now going to be president of Hawaiian Electric Industries, so an even bigger kuleana. Um, folks like him who understand how important that people part is. So I think there's hope. Yeah. It's but we like, got to move. From one of my point of views, it's like, what, what is the holdups with stuff like that? Is it only the communities or is it the amount of land or is it the value of the land or is it the decision to go with solar versus hydro versus geothermal versus high, uh, was it hydrogen? And even to some extent, yeah. nuclear. I think the biggest, uh, well, it's all of it, right? Right. Everything, everything has a cost someplace. And whether that cost is, it's going to take this much land that you can't use for anything else for a while. Um, sometimes that cost is, you know, the potential risks that are either known or unknown. Um, but everything is going to have a cost. So, you know, kind of the easiest thing, change out your old light bulbs, put LEDs, turn off the light when you're not in the room, open the window instead of the AC. There's all that stuff um, that will help, but it's not going to get us out of these hard conversations. Right. It's like even those kinds of things, you know, that would potentially save electricity, but then everybody's got these electronic devices multiple of these electronic devices and everybody's jobs now are computerized. So we're actually using far more energy than we were. Yeah. I think um, the other part of it too is when we think about how much energy we're going to need, we're thinking about our current usage. Right. Not but, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Right. So efficiency is going to get better, but our population is going to grow and I'll admit, I was drooling over that electric F-150, but that's a lot of electricity. <laughs> yeah, 
charging that bad boy up, you know. And where does that electricity come from? That electricity still comes from, well, here on Oahu, you know, still Kahe Power Plant. Yep. Kahe H Power is great in the sense that, you know, yep. at least you're recycling that that's not recycled into something. Right. Um, Oahu's a of particular a particularly interesting challenge just because the competition for land is so much tighter. But that doesn't mean all the land you want makes it that much easier. Like I said, here on Hawaii Island, plenty land, but how do you get the power from where it is to where it needs to be? That ends up being the big expense. Mm -hmm. You could probably do enough PV to power the entire island in somewhere in Kau and you wouldn't even notice it. But it's all the connectivity, all the grid stuff, that all significant investments so you know i don't i don't know that anyone's ready to pony up for that at this point um but at some point we may have to right right so going forward what is your uh goals for your personally for the next five years uh good question you know i'm in a i'm kind of in a season of recalibration um at the time we're recording this I am in the process of winding down my communications firm that I've operated in, you know, between part-time and full-time over the course of 10 years. Uh, On Monday, I'm going to start a position with the Hawaii Tourism Authority um, because I've seen how tourism can be a driver of diversification. You know, right. if we if we lean on any one industry, any one industry, sandalwood, sugar, pineapple, you know, tourism, whatever it is, putting all your eggs in one basket is dangerous. But how can we take tourism and make that the driver to diversify the economy? I think a lot of it is keeping that spend here and supplying more of the demand for things from here. Why is it I go to a hotel in Kona and the best coffee I can get is 10% Kona? Mm. I can see the coffee farm from my room, right? Perhaps some of the people who work at the hotel own coffee land or go pick coffee on the weekends or something like that, right? Um, So there, there are things like that. We saw it in Hawaii Regional Cuisine where... Tourism was a big driver behind the local food movement because perhaps local folks couldn't justify, couldn't access the kind of high quality local ingredients that, you know, those pioneering chefs started to use. But as they started using them in their higher end restaurants, it became more accessible. Farmers learned how to grow different things. And so the visitor industry became this push to diversify the culinary arts. So what are the other opportunities in that? Where are the other things that we can do more of here instead of like we talked about earlier, we just, you know, we're flying folks here, they're spending money and we're putting that money back on the plane, sending it back with them. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason that I'm so excited by Kuhi Kuhi and efforts like that to help folks find these local businesses and keep that money here. Yeah, no, that, that's that's great. That's a great idea. It's a great foundation too. So, 
uh, I think it's great to use the big driving force of tourism to, like you said, help fund the foundation of all of our small business economy here in, in the state. Uh, I think that's one way to do it because I mean, how many tourists do we have a year prior to COVID, you know, several million, right? 10.4 million in 2019. That's a lot of people spending money here. And Uh, it'd be great if they're not going to McDonald's and buying, you know, all that kind mainland type food, if they're spending more time, energy, money in putting it into small local businesses, locally owned businesses, that'd be great. Absolutely. And to do it in a way where these small local businesses have the resources and expertise available to them to help them scale so that the line doesn't become an hour long, right? <laughs> I mean, it's this, you like yeah. grow, but you also don't want to get flooded. Right. So it's this interesting kind of, you know, measured approach to, to growing volume. Yeah, there is that balance in there. <laughs> but tourists will wait in that hour long line, man. They're, they're weird. I'll do it at Disneyland, but that's about it. Yeah. I'll run away and go get some churros while, while we wait. <laughs> We went to uh, Disney Tokyo years ago with the kids, and the lines for the rides weren't that bad. The lines for the food wasn't that bad. The lines that were really, really long were the ones for the turkey drumsticks, those big oh, drumsticks, yeah. because you can't get that kind of food in Japan. That's, Disneyland's the only place you can get something like that. So like people right, were just right. around the block at this one little uh, wheeled cart buying turkey legs. It's like, oh my God. And they wow. have all different types of flavors. They have all these different types of flavors of turkey legs. It was really cool. But I didn't get one because I didn't want to stand in line for turkey leg. So we, um, we happened to be in California um, and at Disneyland a week before Disneyland shut down for COVID. Wow. Um, we had planned this trip for a while. It was between busy seasons for myself and my partner my dad's last auntie on his mom's side lives in carson so it was this whole thing like okay we got to visit auntie we should go on a vacation got to take COVID disneyland all this stuff um and, and COVID. i think while we were there COVID was still just in that one nursing home um you know in uh in washington at the time so kind of surreal to see everything shut down right after that yeah um but i will tell you because i see your helmet back there the food in the the star wars land was pretty killer yeah we definitely we got to go see uh, star wars galaxies over there we went a couple years ago yeah it was really good i did not i was not fancy on the green milk or the blue milk no it's like coconut Uh, or something i was like eh. I'm not a coconut drinker. Sorry. <laughs> I love Halpia, but the coconut, just the coconut milk kind of flavorish. Is just, uh... I mean, if it's in squid, Lu- oh, now we're talking. That's different. That's different. You yeah, mix yeah. it in with stuff like that. Yeah. People have been mixing coconut uh, milk into white rice to give it a kind of a coconutty, healthy flavor. And it loosens up the rice a little bit. I guess you're, it's supposed to help you digest it better or something it's kind of huh. cool yeah I'll give it, it sounds, a try. Um, sounds like um you know when you take the thai curry a lot of those are coconut milk based and you mix in the rice yeah 
don't know if it's coconut milk or coconut oil. I can't forget, but it's coconut something that they mix in with white rice. Maybe probably not the husk. That doesn't sound no, great. No, no, it's like you can't even uh, tell it's in there. It's it's clear stuff. You can't even tell it's in the in the rice until you put the rice in your mouth. It's like, oh, where'd that come from? That tastes a little yeah, yeah. Right? still something in there. It's good stuff though. Right on. Right on. Uh, all right, man. Any last words for the audience here? Thank. I want to thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Um, I, I realized they kind of took a lot of the air there, so um, that's good. That's what we're here for. <laughs> I don't know, Eo. As a as somebody who just really enjoys hearing people tell their stories, um, I just want to mahalo you for what you're doing. I know that you're a busy guy. As you said, you got your two teenagers, you got your day job, you know, all this stuff, but you make the time to to sit with folks and really allow them the space uh, to share their stories. So mahalo to you for that. Yeah, no problem. You know, it's, it's definitely a platform that I think needed to be created. And when I looked two years ago and looked for something like this, it didn't exist. So I was like, you know what? If it doesn't exist, somebody's got to build it. It might as well be me. So there you go. Here we are. The entrepreneurial spirit. Yes, this is actually my third job. So I have three. A third job? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I have a Amazon selling business, so I sell stuff on Amazon too. Yeah, nice. stay busy. That's how we survive here in a way. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I think it, yes, it's difficult, but it also kind of brings out the best in a lot of folks. Yeah. I've met some amazing business owners who I didn't know were business owners uh, through the process of building Kuhi Kuhi and, you know, just talking to folks about it, encouraging them to sign up. We are probably at about 150 listings today. Uh, certainly looking to grow that. It's free to sign up, free to check it out. Kuhikuhi.com, K-U-H-I, K-U-H-I. Quick story about that if we got a couple minutes. Yeah, go ahead. Where's the okay. name from? So, Naha got hooked up with Movers and Shakas, uh, a program, an initiative that started to to help bring Kamaina living abroad who, are work, who could work remotely, bring them home for a bit. It was also open to all kinds of folks. They had a ridiculous number of applicants. I want to say like 10,000 people applied. I could be making that up, but mm-hmm. choke. Um, and so Naha, um, Movers and Shakas, Nicole Lim is the ED. She reached out to us and you know, asked if we could do some kind of cultural education and orientation with the cohort, uh, which we happily did. And, and they asked, well, you get any projects? I said, well... You know, there's this thing with the chambers, and we're looking at this thing, and we described it. And she said, I got the perfect brother for you. So, um, so this brother, Dante Moore, he's from New Jersey, tech entrepreneur, um, musician. He builds apps. His day job is uh, building user experiences at a, uh, a big financial company but also passionate about supporting and uh, helping minority businesses. So Brother Dante from New Jersey, uh, tech entrepreneur, musician, app developer, web developer, and his day job is in user experience design at a major financial firm. So, and passionate about helping minority businesses succeed. Mm -hmm. So 
we were paired with him. Uh, we started the project while he was still in New Jersey. He hadn't come out yet. And, uh, you know, trying to figure out what to call this thing. Like, oh, Hawaiian business directory. Nah, that's kind of clunky. You know, this, that, the other thing. Give it a big, long Hawaiian name. Nobody going to remember them, know how to spell it. You know, shoot yourself in the foot, all this stuff. So we're going back and forth on on Zoom with our team, which was, you know, some of us in Kona, uh, Malia on Oahu, and different chamber folks at different points in history. But, uh, you know, we're going back and forth and I say, hey, what about kuhi kuhi? To kuhi kuhi is to direct, to point, to guide, to help folks find those businesses that they need. Mm -hmm. um, and if we take it back, there were some uh, positions around the Ali'i that had Kuhi Kuhi as part of the name that were very important uh, advisors to the Ali'i. So we talk about Kuhi Kuhi and Dante's daughter, who is maybe 20 or so, 20 something, was sitting off camera and she goes, that's the one. So 20 something sister in New Jersey with no exposure to the topic. It caught her ear, and uh, that's how we chose the name. Yeah, it's good branding right there. You know, if it caught her ear, and she it she immediately recognized it, then that's the pattern that you're gonna repeat with everybody else that hears it. You know, they're gonna really remember it. It's gonna stand out. So I like it. Kuhi kuhi, easy to remember. Absolutely. I also want to quickly mention. Um, there was another organization that started a similar project at about the same time uh, with some slightly different parameters, kanakaeconomy.com. Um, so aloha to them and what they're building there. At the end of the day, the more places our businesses have to, uh, to expose themselves to potential customers, to share their stories, the better. Awesome. So happy to uh, share this space with them. So, so awesome. And so I'm so happy that you guys are doing this. And I'm so proud that you guys are doing this. And I really, really look forward to seeing what else develops out of this. You know, the whole foundation and with you going to the Hawaii Tourism Authority, you know, they're, they are definitely in good hands with you. Oh, mahalo so, for that. So thank you again so much for coming on Hawaii Real, man. It's been great. Mahalo to you, Hio. We'll do it again soon. Right on. Okay. Right on. As always, stay happy, Hawaii. Take care, brother. Drink your water.